Well, good evening. My name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we really are thankful that all of you are here. We welcome you here. We're glad that you're here, especially if this is your first time. Like Brian said, we're really thankful that you're able to join us tonight. We're excited about this evening. We're excited about what's going on in our church and in our city. So thanks for being here and being a part of it with us tonight. Um, as Brian said, we actually are in the middle of a series that we're called calling Legacy. And, uh, and the question that we've been asking ourselves for the last several weeks, the question that we've been asking ourselves is, what is the legacy that you are going to leave? What is the legacy that you're going to leave? That's a, that's a big question. It's kind of a daunting question at times. But that's the question we've been asking for a number of weeks. And last week, as Brian said, we started a conversation uh, that Paul had here uh, talking about gender roles. Last week, we talked about what it means to be a woman. This week, we're going to look at the question, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a man? Now, as we begin this kind of conversation, we realize a question like that What does it mean to be a man? A question like that is particularly difficult to answer in our culture today. I mean, if you just even begin to think about our world today and how we've redefined what it means to be a man, how we've really just wrestled with that question in a number of different ways, and so many different people give so many different responses and so many different answers to that, we realize it's really difficult to answer that, what it means to be a man today. I mean, even if you think about our culture Now, a few decades ago, think about this, for example. If you took a 25-year-old man a few decades ago, which is about the average age of of each guy in this room tonight. If you took a 25-year-old man a few decades ago, it's amazing to kind of consider the accomplishments, the significant milestones in his life that he had already accomplished. I mean, you think about it. He'd already be done with school, already have a career established, probably already be married, starting a family, doing all this on his own. You know, and I realize, I mean, I completely understand, like today, there are a lot of other factors that are kind of influencing the reason why that is not the case today. I mean, there are a lot of different things. Now, most of those are really good things. But, but if you were to think about just the reality that nearly one-third of men between the ages of 22 and 38, nearly one-third of men between the ages of 22 and 38, they still live with their parents. They still have mothers who pack their lunches every day. They still do not do their own laundry. This is nearly one-third of men between the ages of 22 and 38 today. That's kind of, I mean, that's, that is just a signal that we have some sort of man crisis in our culture. When you consider the numbers, the scores of men in their 30s and in their 40s that continue to try to leave, to continue to try to live the the lifestyle of beer, you know, the the bar hopping, nightclub, video game, bachelor pad lifestyle. And the biggest commitment they can make in their lives is to a March Madness bracket and a fantasy football team rather than a woman and a family. And that's the case that we have with most men. When you think about the deepest conversations that most men are able to have today, deal with last night's game or how much they can bench press right now, or laughing about how they can't even remember the name of the girl that they shacked up with last weekend because they were so hammered. I mean, that's, the, that's the kind of the culture that we live in right now. And what are we to do with that? Like when we think about that, what are we to do with that? What do we do with a culture that encourages dudes to stay dudes and boys to stay boys? And the definition of manhood is in utter confusion. Now, I mean, the reality is like when we think about some of these things, it's a lot easier to laugh and be entertained by those when we're watching it on TV and, and in the movies, right? 
I mean, there's just something a lot more entertaining about watching that, right? It's just, I mean, if we had to admit, there's something funny about Owen Wilson crashing weddings or something about Adam Sandler and Will Ferrell pulling middle school pranks, right? There's just something funny about those guys. Living that kind of lifestyle, never growing up. Matthew McConaughey living that player mentality for his entire life. There's something that we are entertained by that. Something that we find funny about that. But the thing is, when it's you... When it's you, when it's, when it's you, when you're that guy who doesn't know how to relate to a girl because you never had a dad that taught you, when it's you, when you are that girl who is caught in that cycle of relationship, bad relationship after bad relationship, and you're caught up with every single guy who's interested in that hookup, shack up, break up mentality, and you're the one suffering because of that, suddenly at that point it's not so funny, is it? Suddenly at that point, it's not so entertaining. And suddenly at that point, it's not worth recording and rewatching over and over and over until we have every line memorized. Because suddenly at that point, it becomes incredibly personal. And at that point, whether you're a guy, whether you're a girl, all of us at some point have probably looked out and pointed and wanted to say, I wish I could see a man. I wish I could look to a man and know exactly who he is. I wish I could look to a father as someone who is there, who is present, and who is active in my life, emotionally and physically. I wish I could look to a man who loved me, a man who was actually a good husband to me. I wish I could look to a man to help me raise my boys. I wish I were that man. And at those points, suddenly, it's not so entertaining and funny. And we realize that now more than ever, we live in a culture that desperately, desperately needs to know what it means to be a man. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at what Paul says here in chapter 3 to Timothy. We're, having, we're looking at what Paul, an experienced, an older, a seasoned and qualified pastor, is going to write to Timothy, a young guy, trying to help lead a church. We're going to look at and see what he says to this guy. Okay, this is like, have you ever seen the movie Secondhand Lions? Ever seen that movie? Great movie, highly recommend it. This is like Robert Duvall's What Every Boy Needs to Know About Being a Man speech. Okay, this is what's going to happen right here as Paul writes to Timothy. Starting in verse 1. Read along with me. Look at your Bibles. Verse 1 says, The saying is trustworthy. This is like an older guy saying, Trust me. Okay, listen up, son. Trust me. Whenever you have an older guy say to you, trust me, listen, you should listen. Verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be... Okay, now wait right there. Just think about this for just a second. At this point, Paul is getting ready to lay down exactly what it means to be a man. Okay, Paul is getting ready to say... Listen up. This is what it means to be a man. This is what it means to be a leader. Now think about it. If, the, if you had this opportunity to finish that sentence, if you had the opportunity to fill in the blank, right? if Paul gave you the quill or whatever Paul used to write in those times, like if at that point he said, you, Andy, finish this sentence. Adam, finish this sentence. Brian, finish this sentence. What would you say? Because, you know, if it was my natural inclination, I was thinking, okay, what is a man? What does it mean to lead a church? What is the, you know, who's the kind of person that's going to lead a movement? My natural tendency is to kind of think, okay, this has got to be a charismatic leader. This has got to be a really influential speaker. This has got to be a brilliant organizer. This has got to be the kind of guy who can deadlift over 400 pounds like Brian Barley, right? Yeah, that's the kind of guy that you're looking at when you're saying, this is what it means to be a man. But look at what Paul says here. Look at verse 2 here. 
It says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. You see what he's doing here? He's saying, you know, everything that you would normally assume about what it means to be a leader, everything that you would normally expect to see in a pastor or in a man of God, everything that you would prioritize as the most important thing, no. No, 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 That's not what I'm saying here. That's not what the most important thing is. You know why? Because that's not what I'm going to say. The most important, you know what Paul's doing here? He's not giving you a checklist. That's what, we've got to realize that first. What Paul is not doing is he's not giving you a checklist. He's not writing to Timothy and saying, okay, Timothy, here's the checklist. This is what men are supposed to do. And as soon as they accomplish the checklist, then make them a leader and they're going to make sure other men are checklist approved. He's not going to do that. You know why he's not going to do that? Think about it. Because the people that always accomplish checklists, what do we know about them? They're always annoying, right? Those people are always annoying that finish the checklist. Like, think about all through grade school. The people that did really well, like the first ones, done, I was me, okay? I was that person. I was always the overachiever, and nobody likes me because of that. So I'm, I'm, please, trust me. That's what Paul is doing. He's like, I'm not going to give you a checklist here. Paul wants you to like your pastors, okay? So he's not going to give you a checklist here. Instead, what he's going to do, and this is key, what he's going to do at this point is say, I'm not going to give you a checklist. What I'm going to give you is a picture I'm going to give you a picture of what every Christian man should look like. This is what every Christian man should look like. 1 Timothy 3 is not a passage about the the duties and responsibilities of a pastor. 1 Timothy 3 is not a pastor's job description, okay? It's not a pastor's job description. It's every man's character description. That's what this is. It's every man's character description. And this is really really good news. This is really good news. You know why? This is really good news for ladies. Because if you look at our church, about 70% of the women in our church are single. Okay? So what this automatically does, it takes all the guessing out of what it means to be a man. That's exactly what it does. It takes all the guessing out of what it means to be a man. So for all the ladies in our church, like when you're going on dates, when guys are asking you out, when you're thinking or just considering dating a certain person, like you should be able to look at this right here. Say, this is what it means to be a man. This description right here. And so you look at the guy asking you out, and you, and you ask yourself, is this person a boy or is this person a man? And is that easy? Are you able to do that? Now, here's what I know. Here's the truth. And all of you guys know this. Every one of you knows. There will be some of you, I promise, there will be some of you who opt for the boys. It happens all the time, right? It happens all the time. I don't know why it happens. It's kind of a mystery. But for some reason, girls always opt for the boys at times, right? Can I get an amen? Is that right? Like, you guys realize that? You know this is true, right? You're like, there's something mysterious about it, something, like, attractive, something cute, appealing about this boy. I know he's kind of immature. I know he's kind of selfish. I know he's kind of, like, not a man. But there's something attractive about it, and I'm going to go for it. And what happens? You know what happens. Like, many of you have been down that road before. What happens? You get burned, right? You get burned sometimes badly. Like you follow that guy, you know, you you get strung along, you play the game for a little while, and all of a sudden you end up there, and your heart is broken, and you're kicked to the curb, and all of a sudden you realize you're one more victim in the hookup, shackup, breakup game, and you're suddenly sitting there pissed. You're wondering why. Where have all the good men gone, and why did this happen to me again? You know, that's what happens. And so we're, we're encouraging, we're saying, look for men, not for boys. This is really good news for some of you. Some of you in our church, like within the last two months, there have been a number of you who have given birth to little boys. 
There are a number of you who are currently raising little boys in our church. And you ask this question, okay, you know what? I don't want my boy to turn out to be a 35-year-old boy. I want to see my little boy turn into a man. And you ask yourself that question, like, how does this happen? Like, what's the solution? You're like, what do I do? Like, how do I guarantee that 35 years from now he's not, like, sleeping in my basement still and I'm making him lunch? That's a perfectly legitimate question. I know, like, every single one of you admittedly is, is never planning on that. Never, you guys never think, like, yeah, I want to see that happen. But what's the solution? Like, what Paul is not saying here is, you know what? The solution for making sure your boy turns into a man is to sign him up for more karate classes or, like, put him in sports teams or take him on more fishing trips. All those are good things. But I'm saying, like, that's not the solution. And once he gets older, it's not like, okay, teach you how to drink more beer. Not, like, light beer, but good beer. You know, like, when you get older, you can, like, the solution to being a man is not growing in a really impressive, burly beard like me. You know? Even though it's kind of attractive, that's not the solution to being a man. That's what Paul's saying here. Because the solution, when it comes down to pointing him to Jesus, that is the solution. Because that's the picture Paul is going to give us here. The picture of a fruit of a man's life when he follows Jesus. The fruit of a man's life when he follows Jesus. That is what it means to be a man. Because a man is then measured by his character. Okay? A man is measured by his character. That's what we're going to see tonight as we look at this passage and as we walk through these character qualities. Now, ultimately, when we look at this passage right here, what we are seeing, what we're seeing is Paul tell every single man, this is what it looks like to live a godly life. Every single Christian man, this is what it looks like to live a godly life. And ultimately, ultimately, those men who measure up really well, those men who exemplify the fruit of following Jesus really well, those are the men who should lead and oversee and provide authority for in the church. Those are the men who should be elders or pastors or overseers. All of those mean the same thing. You'll see all throughout the New Testament that Paul and other writers use the same word there. But he's saying those are the men... Those are the men that should lead the church. It's your character that determines if you are a man. It is your character if you determine, it's your character if you are a man. And it's your character that qualifies you for leadership. That is what Paul is saying here. It's very important to realize. And as we look through, what we're going to do in just the next few minutes is we're going to look at that list. We're going to see what Paul says. We're going to look at that picture. We don't have time to look at all of these in-depthly. But what we're going to do is we're going to go quickly and see what it means to be a man. So we're going to start there in verse 2. Therefore, an overseer, he must be above reproach. Above reproach, what does that mean? Above reproach means that you can take this guy, you can put him out in public, and there is nothing overtly sinful about this guy's life. You can put him on stage, and we can call him out and say, you know what, there's nothing about this guy that is overtly sinful. You know the re- reason why Paul starts with this as a character quality? Because this is like your catch-all junk drawer category. Okay, it covers everything. That's another reason why Paul does not give us a checklist. All right, because for some reason, guys are really talented at taking a checklist and like accomplishing everything on the list and still getting away around it and being sleazy. Okay, so Paul's like, I'm not going to give you a checklist. That's the first one. Overseer or man, he must be above reproach. Secondly, he is the husband of one wife. Literally, that translates a one woman man. 
one woman man. Are you a one woman man? Now, the interesting thing about this, this does not just mean you're not sleeping around with other women. Okay, in the end, this is just as applicable to married men as it is to single men. Because what Paul is doing is getting to the heart of the issue. He's getting to our character. And he's saying, how do you treat women? How do you treat women? Are you a one-woman man? For married guys, are you, are, you devo- are you devoted? Are your emotions and your love and your, everything about you devoted to one woman? Are you, are you a flirt? Are you a player? Are you kind of like the guy that everyone knows is like the, the player, the flirt? And even for single guys. Now, are you the one who leads girls on? Are you the one who plays with their emotions? Are you the one who just strings girls along and then leaves them? Are you a one-woman man? This even goes to the heart of how we think and act. You know, the things that we do. Are you addicted to pornography? Are your thoughts pure? Are you a one-woman man in the way that you even think? Therefore, man must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Sober-minded, self-controlled, and respectable. Sober-minded, self-controlled, and respectable. That means this guy is emotionally stable, okay? That's what it means. You're emotionally stable. Does that mean a real man can't cry? No, that doesn't mean that. Real men can cry, okay? I hope that they do at times. You know, at the birth of your child, I hope you cry. At the wedding of your daughter, I hope you cry. At the last scene of Marley and Me, I hope you cry. Because I cry every time I see that. It's very emotional. I'm a crier there. Okay? You know, you ask a self-controlled, you ask a respectable man his vision for life. You know what he's going to tell you? He's going to tell you, if I'm a, a man of God, my vision for life is to follow Jesus by doing this, this, and this. Okay, whatever that might be. I'm, gonna, I'm going to pursue my career. I'm going to marry my love. I'm going to raise a family. And I'm going to do it. Okay, that's what a self-respectable, controllable, that's what, a, you know, that's what that kind of guy does. Okay, he doesn't talk about just wild dreams. He doesn't talk about fantasies that he would love to accomplish one day. But you see, this is what he's going to say, what he wants to do, and he's going to do it. That's what it means. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Hospitable. Now, many people, especially if you grew up in the church, especially if you grew up in the church in the South, where I know a lot of you came from, hospitable or the gift of hospitality, many of you kind of assume that means that you're really good at baking muffins for your small group or other Christian friends. That's not what hospitality means, actually. In fact, the word the scripture uses here for hospitality means that you welcome into your home. You are inviting to strangers. Strangers, those people who are lost, those people who do not know God. Actually, Paul will use elsewhere in Romans 15 this same language. And he'll say, this is exactly the same type of language that God used when he talked about rescuing you as a stranger. Someone who was far from him. God brought you into his family. He accepted you. And that's what it means to be hospitable. You are welcoming people into your home to introduce them to Jesus. Abel to teach. Notice here it does not say able to preach, able to lecture. What it says here is you're able to teach. Okay, there's a big distinction there. So for most of us in this room, what that means is someone who is able to teach. I mean, someone comes to you and says, hey, you know what? I would really like to learn more about what the Bible says about being a man. And you can say, you know what? That's great. Let's grab a drink, come over to my place, and I will teach you. You know, hey, I'd really love to learn, like, is God really who he says he is? 
You know what? That's a great question. Come over to my place. I will teach you. Hey, I would really love to learn more about X, Y, or Z. You know what? That's great. I would love to teach you because real men are able to teach. Real men are able to train other men. That's what it means to be able to teach. That's what we're calling every man to be, someone who can teach others what it means to follow Jesus well. You are able to teach. If we look there then in verse 3. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Those make sense, right? Are you characterized as someone who has a gentle and peaceful spirit? Are you characterized by someone who has a gentle and peaceful spirit? That doesn't mean you can't get angry. Jesus got angry often. Jesus got angry at really, uh, you know, things that were worthy of getting angry. And there are plenty of things in our lives that are worthy of getting angry over. If someone harms my wife, I'm going to get angry. Okay, if someone offends my family, I'm going to get angry. If the Denver street sweepers give me another $50 ticket for parking on the wrong side of the street, which I know many of you can resonate with, I'm going to get angry, okay? Because I hate when that happens. But in my anger, I will not, what's the word? Sin. I will not sin in my anger. Not a lover of money. A real man is more interested in loving people than, than using them. A real man is more interested in loving people and using money, not using people and loving money. Think about that. A real man is more interested in loving people than using them. Verse 4. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household How will he care for God's church? I'm going to read that verse again. Everyone follow along. Verse 4. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Here at the Summit Church, we have an expression that we use often. You probably heard us say it before. We use it all the time. And the expression goes, we do before we recognize We do before we recognize. We do before we... Everyone say that with me. We do before we recognize. Yeah, that means that we recognize people for certain things. um, They do those before we recognize them for that. That means, for example, if you look at my life, many of you know, just about a month ago, I was ordained as one of the pastors here at our church. Now, for the last two years... I've been helping lead, I've been helping pastor, I've been helping train, I've been helping disciple and counsel many people within our church. I've even helped fundraise and do administrative and legal work in our church before being recognized as a pastor. Because in our church we do before we recognize. That means that we're looking at men and women who are doing things and then we recognize them for doing them. So when it comes to elders or pastors or deacons or any other form of leadership within our church, we're going to be looking at people. We're going to say, we see this person. He's helping lead men. He's helping train men. He's helping disciple men. He's helping pastor. And then we're going to recognize him for that. Okay? We're going to see that they're doing that. And then we're going to recognize them later. And if I had to be completely honest, here's here's our... Here's our vision for the Summit Church when it comes to all of you. Like, we'll just be completely transparent and honest with you. Here's our goal for each of you. I'm not going to hold this back. This, ain't, this isn't like private information. Our goal for every single one of you 
Every single man in this room, our desire is to see you aspire to this position. Okay, we want to see you living out godly character like a man of God. In the end, we want to be able to look at every one of you, even though you may not ever elder in a church, you may never pastor here. What we want to be able to do is look at you and say, you demonstrate the character of a godly man. And you are helping elder people in our church by living such a godly life. That is our goal. That is our goal for every single one of you men. And even though some of you will never reach that point, that's okay. Because the destination is not a position. It's a lifestyle. The destination is not a position. It is a lifestyle. And that's what we desire for every single one of you. So, you know, if something happens to us, and if something happens to me, if tomorrow I'm like biking down Colfax and I get hit by a car... If Brian is at CrossFit and has a heart attack while pumping iron, like if we're both pronounced dead tomorrow, we can say that is okay. Like we're okay with that because we can point to a number of men in our church, a number of men who qualify for leadership, a number of men who display the life of a godly man who followed Jesus well and demonstrate the fruit of following Jesus. We have a whole truckload of men who are able to do this. That is our goal. Because in the end, it's your character that determines your manhood. It's your character. It's your character that qualifies you for leadership. It's not a resume. It's not a degree. It's not a talent contest. It's your character. Now, as we begin to conclude tonight, there's good news and there's bad news about that. Um, I think you're always supposed to start with the bad news. So I'll begin with the bad news. Um, If you know me well, and some of you do, some of you know me really well. If you know me well, or if you talk to my wife, uh, if you were just to put my life underneath a microscope for the next several weeks, and just examine everything about me in a very critical way, you know what you would determine? You know what you would realize? Much to your surprise, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect at any of these things. You know, I'm not perfect at all of these things all the time. You know, and the same thing with Brian, if you were to examine his life on that kind of basis, you would realize that we're not perfect. We're not perfect men. We're not perfect pastors. It's just not the case. If you, if you, you know, some of you grew up in churches where you kind of looked to one man, called him the senior pastor, and, and, and really just put him on this pedestal as a perfect man and mediator between you and God. You'll never hear us use that language in our church of senior pastor. You know why? Because the, like the one time you actually see the Bible using that type of language, you know who it's referring to? It's referring to Jesus. Because Jesus, he is the senior pastor. Jesus, he is the chief shepherd. So it's not my responsibility to be the perfect man. It is not my responsibility to be the perfect pastor. My responsibility is to help point you to the perfect man. My responsibility is to help point you to the perfect pastor, who is Jesus. Now, the good news about that is that we were never meant to be perfect. Now, we were never meant to be the perfect man, the perfect pastor's. It's just not the case. And for, for many of you here tonight, men, for many of you, if you, as you begin to critically examine your lives, as you begin to think how you measure up to being a man, as you begin to examine your character, and you consider how that measures up to what 1 Timothy 3 says, 
And a lot of you realize, you know what, I don't look like that. Like, that's not me. I'm not that man. I'm not that type of man. As you begin to examine those types of things, you should find an overwhelming amount of comfort in the fact that the standard of perfection was never attainable by your own efforts alone. That's the thing. The standard of perfection was never attainable by your own efforts alone. Okay, your character does help define your manhood. All right, your character does help define your manhood. But in the end, no degree of manhood, no amount of character, no amount of taking responsibility or living like a man will ever make you perfect. Ladies, this should be very good news for you as well. Because as many of you grew up in homes where your dad was never present, where he was never there, where many of you have gone through significant milestones in your life without ever having the presence and the security and the comfort of knowing that your dad was there and approved. This is really good news. Because what the gospel of Jesus Christ says is that you have a father who will never, ever disappoint. He will always be there. Ladies, for those of you who have never experienced the true love of a real man, this is really, really good news. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ says he is going to be one whose love will always satisfy. And for all of us tonight, for all of us, for all of us who have decided to put our faith in Jesus Christ, for all of us who have decided to trust him, this is really, really good news. Because in the end, what we're able to do is we're able to look at the perfect man whose love will sustain us. We're able to look at the perfect father who is always present and who never disappoints. We're able to look at the chief shepherd, the perfect pastor, who will always lead us and guide us perfectly to him. And that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he makes a way for that to happen by putting our faith and our trust in him. Tonight, in just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. Um, and we're going to sing one more song tonight. Before we do that, I'm going to ask you, go ahead and you can bow your heads. We're going to get ready to pray. I'm going to ask you just to meditate and think about some of the things we have said tonight. Some of the things that we've said about what it means to be a man. Friends, men and women, I know that when it comes to this picture of manhood, this can often be daunting. And the thing is, that's exactly what Paul wants us to feel. When we see the picture of a godly man, we want to feel how impossible this is to reach. But what God wants us to know more than anything is that while your character does determine your manhood, in the end, no amount of character, no amount of character will ever make you perfect. And that is what he wants of you. And so our invitation tonight is very simple. Our invitation for you is to turn your eyes to Jesus, the perfect man, the perfect father, the perfect pastor, the man who will love you and be present and provide 
and lead in a way that no other man will ever do. We invite you to put your faith and your trust in him because he alone is the one that can do that. Father, I pray tonight for all of us here. I realize that we have people from all different types of backgrounds, men and women who have their unique stories. Some of them have had nothing but bitter experiences with men. Some of them never have seen an accurate picture of what you design men to be. Lord, I pray at this time that as men and women who desire to know you and follow you and experience love and joy and peace in life that you designed us to experience, Father, I pray that we would turn to Jesus. Father, we would see Jesus as the perfect man, the perfect father, the perfect pastor, the only one who can provide, the only one who will never disappoint and who will always satisfy Father, for those who have never put their faith and trust in you, I pray they would actively make decisions to do that. They would move one step further, one step further to seeing how you love them. Lord, I pray that together in the life of the Summit Church, a community of people who desire to know you, Lord, I pray that we will run this race of life with perseverance that we will persevere, that we will throw away everything that entangles and everything that stands between us and you. Lord, I pray that we will fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray these things. Amen.